0: Spotlights is a series of online events and publications focusing on a particular group of victim-survivors who are often hidden from services. As part of Safe Life Spotlight on honour-based violence and forced marriage, this week my colleague Deirdre met with Dr Ali Gangoli, a Senior Lecturer at the Centre for Gender and Violence Research at the University of Bristol. In her interview, Dr Gangoli talks about her research for the HMIC regarding how victims and survivors of honour-based violence and forced marriage felt about how the police responded to them, both during and after the crisis that had led them to contact the police. We hope you find this interview as enlightening as we have.
1: So, thanks for joining me. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, do you just want to start out by telling me about yourself?
2: Um, yeah, so I've um, I've been working in the area of gender-based violence for, I think, about 15 years. No, a bit longer than that, 20 years probably. And um, I, I've been working, started off looking at relationship between law and the feminist movement in India. So that was my PhD. And, um, I moved on very quickly to look around look at violence against women, particularly because the area where feminists kind of looked at where they where most of the focus was and activism was around was around um gender based violence violence against women in particular um and then I moved to the u k in um nineteen ninety nine um two thousand and then started doing more work on ethnic minority women started off... I think I was I, I was always interested in looking at the kind of slippages between forced and arranged marriages because um, a lot of marriages in the Indian subcontinent, as you know, are arranged, but uh, the degree of force within some of the arranged marriages... Can be quite subtle, and i've been always interested in looking at that, so i've done some research around that in the northeast um and also around the question of whether women who experience forced marriage might be more likely to experience other forms of domestic violence like interpersonal violence or um, or not and then um, did more recently i've been doing work on kind of conceptually exploring the question of what honour means in the context of honour-based violence and also whether it's a useful term in itself to understand what we know. Um, so I suppose what I'm saying is, is there a difference between honour-based violence and other forms of domestic violence and abuse or mm-hmm. other forms of gender-based violence? And is it helpful to treat it differently. Right. That's the question. To give it that different label. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: Hmm, That sounds really interesting. Yeah, And I know that the research we're going to talk about today is some participatory research that you did around women's experience of the criminal
2: justice system. It was particularly a victim survivor's voices and their experiences with the police. Yep. It was um, really, um, it was part of the HMIC, Her Majesty's Inspectorate of Constabulary Inspection, which was actually looking at police responses mm-hmm. to honor-based violence, so it didn't really look at the criminal justice system in general.
1: So it's more specifically
2: about the police's was, yeah. response. Okay. Yeah. And what made you do
1: that research? Why were you particularly interested in it?
2: So we were commissioned to do it. Um, I think, uh, well, We're part of a large team um, and uh, I think all of us have been interested in, particularly I've been interested in, well, the question that I just raised, are women's experiences of honour-based violence, in what way are they different and similar to other experiences of gender-based violence? And also, I'm also interested in how the criminal justice system responds to them. Do they treat them uh, black and minority ethnic women or women who ex- might be seen as exploring, experiencing gender based violence, do they see them as other women who might be experiencing gender based violence or are they treated differently mm. and what's the difference and what is the you know are there advantages in treating them differently, it may be that they are treated differently and that's a good thing Yeah or actually it's not really helping them. And I think it's that. And I think it was particularly when we were commissioned to do this and we saw the scope of what we were asked to do. I thought it was really interesting because I think at the heart of a lot of research that I do is getting women's voices on their experiences of what justice means, their experiences of what um, their interaction with the police Mm-hmm. so for for in this um inspection, the police also evaluated their own practice, mm. and you did it
1: around um fifty interviews that you did with um women who That's experienced right. honor based yeah. violence, yeah, and some of them had contact with the police and others didn't so looking at the at the survivors of honor based violence yeah. and forced marriage for those who maybe chose in some circumstances not to report to the police, yeah what were kind of the barriers for them doing that what were their apprehensions around for not it? reporting for not reporting
2: okay so there were uh, it's it's quite complex really so in terms of barriers for not reporting um uh, they, they there were very a lot of barriers so some of them spoke about fear of blackmail so you know fear of that they would lose their children, for instance. They would get into trouble with their family. Mm. Um, they were also worried about maintaining family honour. So though while it was... They may have experienced honour-based violence, but the act of reporting to the police was also seen as dishonourable, compounding the dishonour, if you mm. like. Um, but sometimes it was quite simple sort of structural things mm-hmm. uh, so it was just they didn't know how to report or where to report yeah and I think that uh, so they you know and this is particularly for participants who may have come from overseas yeah so first generation immigrant women um they either didn't know how to contact the police they didn't know that they could just dial 999 for yeah. instance Some of, sometimes they didn't have con- a phone with them for instance um uh, and also that uh some of them came from countries where going to the police is actually seen as shameful in itself i mean it's not all, having the police come to your house is seen as shame shameful in itself so mm. you get associated as a criminal and, and so you they don't want to bring that onto themselves if you like um some victims suggested that um they had reported incidents to the police in the past or they'd had contact with the police but because they had had a poor experience they decided not to do it again okay and what was quite interesting was that there were six cases where perpetrators actually claimed victim status to the to the police okay or they report, and there were a further three where perpetrators reported or threatened to report the victim as a bad mother to social services okay so they were using that and that made women frightened to approach the police because they didn't want to lose their children. Um, They reported, uh, so for example, in one case, perpetrator uh, reported the participant to the police for harassment. In one case, as a missing person when she had left with the children. And as one case, they... uh, Reported the woman as a perpetrator of domestic abuse, so they were being preemptive, mm. as it were, in those cases. So, then what actually takes place is when the police comes there at that point, then of course they, they start off with the assumption that the woman is responsible. And then, of course, she, if she makes an allegation at that stage against the husband or her in laws, then she's seen, it's kind of seen as defensive. Yeah, And I think then that weakens uh, issues as well. So there was a man who said, uh, a husband said, I'm receiving unknown calls from the wife. And the police said that, stop threatening, uh, stop making those calls. And actually didn't even probably check whether she was yeah. making it or not. So for the women who did decide
1: to, to report the police either once or every time or no matter yeah. how many times, yeah. what was their... Um, expectation I know that with lots of women who experience domestic abuse sometimes they want what's happening mm. to just immediately stop yeah. some of them want some form of justice
2: yeah I think uh, well, that's a difficult question because I think when they first made the decision to report as you say most of the time it was because they were in a crisis situation and they wanted the violence and abuse to stop yeah. So they didn't necessarily have a long-term plan about what they what they were asking for. They didn't even know what would happen. Yeah. So they didn't really have an expectation. Yeah. I suppose a hope that the violence would stop. Um, Immediately immediate, in that moment. At that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is you know um, perfectly valid. But I think the long-term impacts. They did. I think there's just as with other forms of domestic violence, women's. Yeah. once once they're out of the immediate danger or something changes in their life then their expectations also change Mm -hmm. or their desires also change because then they can probably think back and think okay this is I may have wanted this to stop and it's now stopped. Now I can take stock of what I really want. Mm -hmm. Do I want my husband, my family members prosecuted or do I just want to get on with my life? Mm -hmm. And I think it becomes quite complex. So I think what what a survivor might want or a victim might want, because at the point of reporting, they're often victims, might want at the time that they might have initial contact with the police, might be quite different from what they might want. 6 months down the line or a year down the line mm-hmm. and i think that's probably some of it could be down with their experiences with the police but other it could also be other things which were which are happening in their life
1: yeah so you looked at kind of their perceptions of how the police interacted with them and then the police's perceptions of how that. yeah oh yeah so you did the how the what the yeah. women's perceptions were yeah. what was there perception of her, kind of what but came I, out to you is really interesting I,
2: what was interesting and I think that's the key summary as well that um, the initial response in most cases they said that the initial response was really good so the police was quite in most cases fantastic at the point at the point crisis point so they came quite quickly yep they often Either arrested the perpetrator or took him away. Uh, they, in some cases, took the women away from, you know, the from the from the site of okay. violence, if you like, and you know they got them safe. I think that um, I think it would be safe to say that the that women felt that it was the follow up, okay, which was a bit of a problem, okay, and that I think is consistent in. Many of the interviews that we that we looked at, um, and also the closure of the case in some cases. I mean, having said that, there were a couple of instances of very good uh, practice where you know women, uh, poli- individual police officers worked very closely with um, victims, or they had for support, mm-hmm. and they, that worked very well where they had okay. sort of individual ongoing support. But predominantly, it was the follow-up support, they would have to keep ringing up, tell their story to somebody else on the phone, try to find somebody who had, they may have had a named officer, but then they didn't always get to speak to them Um, they got important bits of communication by text sometimes, for Mm -hmm. instance in one case, um, it's reported in here, uh, a woman said that she was told by informed by text that her case was being closed Hmm. Which you know you can see that police are very really busy, but for the woman it came as a bit of a you know it was pro- quite heartbreaking. Yeah. So it's those kinds of things where I think that it just after the initial contact that it just the sort of support is tends to slip. Okay. It seems quite inconsistent. Yeah. The level of
1: support yeah. and advice that they get
2: absolutely yeah i think it is inconsistent um but i think it is consistent and that is the thing that where the police response is the strongest is at the initial point of crisis Mm. and it's later when women are seem safer that it seems to slip why do you think that happens I suppose because that's police is probably, I mean that again I'm going beyond the report, speculating but I presume it's because the police are probably trained to respond to crisis Mm -hmm. and perhaps because they don't, I mean it may be again I'm going beyond the report I'm just thinking about the sort of wider work that I've done around this area because they probably, police might believe that they're not there to offer support Yeah, and they they are there for crisis management and I suppose it's this question of what expectations women have from an agency and what the agency feels they're able to give you. Okay. So, for instance, with the criminal justice system, uh, women might want to go and have their day in court, for instance, if, it, if the... If the co- if the case goes that far, yeah. but then they treat it as a witness and it's the Crime prosecu- Prosecution Service who might decide, for instance, that they can testify or not. Yeah, and then you—it's almost like they feel that that control might be taken away from them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's that because that's how the criminal justice system is set up, and the police probably feels okay. We we made this woman safe. We've taken her to a safe place, either to a refuge or a BNB. Um, you know, and probably hopefully put her in touch with social services if she's got kids and. Hopefully, it's their job to keep us, yeah. And it's that I think that's the kind of missing link somewhere yeah. to have that continued support. Now, yeah. I suppose I'm not suggesting that the police does everything because obviously they, but it may be that it needs that's a gap that needs to be picked up somewhere. Okay.
1: Yeah, I can imagine that it's quite a disempowering process. I remember when I used to work in court mm-hmm. as an idfa, okay. and. The disappointment when, and even the disappointment on the phone beforehand, when they think, "Oh, it's not my case. Uh, I'm just a witness in yeah. the in the in the Crown Prosecution's case." Yeah, um, and they're making the decision about whether a charge goes forward with exactly. or without me, and they can demand that I make a statement with or without my, you know, yeah. consent, yeah. and they can decide what to to yeah. use or not use, and what to charge or not charge, and mm. yeah, it can be quite. Disempowering and disappointing yeah,
2: really, absolutely, and I think that comes through as well um, uh, in and I think sometimes the experiences again of women who may have mm-hmm. experienced gender based violence honor based violence it 's with the police it 's not even that different from the experience that other women might have white women might have it's very similar, but again it 's complicated by the fact that some of them don't have language support, they may not have close family mm. nearby, they're in a, you know, st- country they haven't lived in for that long, Yeah. so that obviously adds another layer of complexity to their experience which makes it even more frightening. Mm. So there was one woman who was attacked by her husband, she was brought with her son to the police station at 10, o- 10 o'clock and she'd been injured, her clothing was torn, she was left to wait for fourteen hours where she got, and during that 14 hours, she got one offer of a hot drink. That's it. And she, there was no food offered for herself or her child. Um, and then somebody came at 4 o'clock to give her medical attention. And at 6 o'clock in the morning, she was spoken to by the handover officer. Uh, she was only questioned on midday, the day after the attack. Wow. So that's kind of seems she was removed from the place where, you know, where she was unsafe. But then it was almost like nobody seemed to care for her. And I think it's those kinds of gaps as well. Mm-hmm. Now, I suspect that if, you, you know, the police are probably under-resourced. I mean, they are under-resourced. Yeah. And therefore, that might explain some of it. But these are kind of women's experiences about how difficult these things can be for them. I suppose specifically around honor-based violence. Even with the initial contact, um, there were women said that sometimes the police didn't understand their culture, so they didn't understand okay. how things worked in their family. Mm-hmm. So they didn't, you know, the, uh, that why women weren't speaking. Yeah. For instance, um, and and sometimes they said that they were very relieved, um, and because they came so promptly. Um, but uh, sometimes they felt that if you had, um, you know, if you had somebody from the same ethnicity as a responding officer, that could be a good thing because somebody who understood. But some respondents, some res- respondents felt it actually wasn't a good thing in their case because they just felt embarrassed. And there was this Asian um, uh, woman who said that she got somebody who was. From a similar ethnic background as herself, and he said um, to her, um, "You know, it's because I'm Asian as well. Uh, they are family. That's your mom at the end of the day. So if you feel it's good, you do not. Then uh, you do ever talk to them again. I mean, the it was a sort of forced marriage case. So the woman felt uncomfortable because she was kind of being given." this kind of, I mean, in my view, inappropriate advice, yeah. personal advice about well, how she should deal with something which was happening to her. Yeah. And he was kind of saying, okay, and he was using the shared ethnicity as a way of trying to probably give her some advice. And I think mm. those things can complicate issues as well, but in some cases it can be really positive. So if women understand, so if you have an officer who might understand your shared culture, and you immediately understand that actually this is a problem, which could be a problem for one particular culture, for instance, but may not be something which white officers might be familiar with. Mm. Then it they, they, there would be that level of comprehension that okay. you can move the case forward. Yeah. So they don't have to explain what is happening to them because they already understand. Um so uh, I guess that's the issue
1: as well. I guess they they shouldn't have to be dependent on a lottery of whether or not they get an officer from the same ethnic background who's sympathetic to their situation.
2: Really, they should be exactly. trained and aware. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's the issue as well, that they should be train, trained trained and aware. Um but yes, and that's the thing. I mean there was this one uh uh you know, um, there's one participant, she said she, when the police entered her house, the mother-in-law was sitting there and the husband was upstairs. And she said that she couldn't talk to them with her in-laws in the house. And the police officer said, um, you know, they can't really listen. But she said that they're just standing outside the door. So she said that he... She did say he was very helpful, um but the point, of course, is in that situation, if you remove the woman from the house, then it's almost like a permanent removal. Okay. Because it's quite hard for her then to then go out, so it can get quite complex. And I'm not, I don't have any solutions about what this officer might have been able to do in that case, but it almost seems like you would probably not want to interview people while possible perpetrators are around.
1: No, I think that's an a normal thing that most officers would and should know, but it kind of takes that added level of understanding to know that the mother-in-law could be Put playing the a role in that, and, and that's where they yeah. kind of need that added awareness. Exactly. And so what was your advice coming out of this? If there was anything, what was kind of your conclusion for them?
2: I suppose the, the conclusion that comes out was really that the police does need more training in terms of different cultural realities for women. But also, it's never culture by itself, is it? I mean, it's quite easy to talk about culture as if it just exists exists by itself. Yeah. And then you can, I don't know what the word is, refire problem, make it seem like it's just cultural. But yeah. actually for a variety of these women and also women that, you know, I've interviewed on other projects as well. The culture becomes, it's often, it's just complicated with structural issues. Mm-hmm. So you have all this rhetoric about shame and honour and so on, but also you, the women have issues to do with immigration. Yeah, uh, They have issues to do with financial security. You could have very young women, for instance, who are forced into marriage. British, Asian, can speak English, know that they can call nine 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 for instance but they are financially and emotionally dependent on their parents or they are at university and they just don't want to mess their lives up for instance and it it's quite complex because you if you just if you are only focusing on culture and not looking at the wider sort of immigration status but also the other emotional needs then it becomes then then you can't understand what actually mm-hmm. might be happening yeah. to women's lives, so hard to have a response uh, there as well but I think um, I, I guess that's that's probably the key issue that they probably the police would probably benefit from more training around honour-based violence but also how honour-based what it means and how it's inter, 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 interacts and inter, it interlinks with other forms of oppression and inequalities Thank you very much for doing oh, this. problem.
0: Thank you for listening If you'd like to find out more about Safe Life Spotlight on honour-based violence and forced marriage please go to our website safelives.org.uk where we will be uploading new content every week until the 9th of June each exploring a different aspect of honour-based violence and forced marriage If you'd like to participate in the discussion you can join in the live Twitter Q&A conversation on the 8th of June between 10 and 11am just go to hashtag your choice.